and welcome to yet another rousing round and episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh. Ah, indeed. All right. Well, hey, it's been a rough week. Um, hope you're all doing fine out there. Uh, we've heard a lot from you guys, uh, both uh, yeah, online and offline. Yeah, so great. Keep the messages coming. We really like to hear that uh, because, you know, even if there's just 10 of you out there, those 10 of you mean something to us, so just yeah, keep it coming. We enjoy hearing from you uh, from all over the country uh, and here in our own state and in places far away. It, it actually is extremely exciting to us. So. Right on. So uh, we've got a couple call-ins to do. Uh, both Jason and Joe showed up. Uh, Jason, of course, uh, yeah, we've got a special little shout-out to you and uh, appreciate that. So we're going to put you up on that one, but uh, we're going to probably turn first to Joe. But just a quick shout-out to Larry Hamilton. Um, going through a tough personal time right now, not going to make too much light of it. You can talk to him or look up what he's up to and uh, obviously uh, find out for yourself. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're just, uh, you're in our thoughts, Larry Hamilton. We're thinking we're, of you, bud. Uh, hopefully uh, everything works out all right. So, uh, uh, Share the love, folks. Yeah. Um, just take care of each other and uh, do the best you can. But uh, in the meantime... We're going to keep on uh, pounding away here. Uh, we got some good topic for you tonight. It's Freeform Friday, so it's Friday night. So uh, Yeah, and I am extra delirious because I, I, <laughs> I start shifts really early Friday morning. So, yeah, you'll get both barrels of the crazy. Not one barrel, both barrels. Right on. The so, kimono is literally flapping in the breeze as we speak. Uh, well... Nonetheless, with kimonos aside, no, well, let's keep them right where they are. Let's okay, just, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a bad choice of words. Let's back that one up. Try this again from another angle. The kimono will remain closed for now, but we will be revealing probably more than we should. So I'm just going to go with that allegory and leave off before I dig myself into a e- hole further. Expect no less from the pod- the gaming podcast that rifles through your couch for loose change. Oh, wow. That is desperate. All right. But, you know, uninvited house guests, that's what you get. So, all right. Well, we're going to turn first. I think I found a buck 25 in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's bus fare. So, first, we're going to turn to Joe. Yeah, Joe. Hello. And we're going to put you on and uh, come right back with you. So, hang around. Yo, boys, it's a fantastic episode on humor in gaming. And, dudes, to this day, I do not understand what people mean when they say they want to play a serious campaign. I'm telling you right now, every single campaign I've run since I was a little kid has been a serious campaign. And yet the idea of a campaign where nobody laughs sounds like a nightmare to me. That sounds like the worst type of campaign I could possibly imagine. Uh, Because just like... Just like in real life, humor happens during games. Humor happens in dark moments. It happens in dramatic moments. Humor happens in stressful moments. Like that's just part and parcel of being alive. So the idea of like this super serious campaign, it's like a parody of itself almost. Anyway, dudes, great stuff. Peace out. Oh, yeah. Hey, you're spot on, uh, Joe. Glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, humor and game. I've run many serious games, but there's never been a time where laughter, jests, and jokes and references aren't there. I mean, yeah, that is a nightmare. It's if you're baked not... into the pie, really. I mean, you go back to early D&D, and it, it's just 
so much of other people's stories are about the funny thing that happened at the game, the water cooler tale. It's our version of what sitcom was on last night, except that for us, it happened with a group of friends, and it wasn't something that we all watched separately on television. That's amazing and awesome and should always be a part of gaming. Yeah. Uh, maybe not like the dominating force, like the, the whole campaign is is a yuck fest, but I can't, I'm, I'm with him. I can't imagine a game. Me either, yeah. Humorless. This entire game will be played like it's in a German comedy club. Yeah, with Philip Glass. Yeah, <laughs> music as the by mus- Philip Glass. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> with the musical score. Yes, we will not. Uh, we will not laugh, smile, or have levity during this time. Only the rolling of dice and the lamentation of the player characters they lose their precious PCs and magic items. Schadenfreude, the RPG. Is now underway. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody plays like that. I mean, I play a serious campaign. Mike plays a serious campaign. He never will tell you differently. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, serious in the sense that there is a, you know, carefully thought out plot. Uh, you know, that the, the players are going to face uh, traditional familiar threats from monsters and, you know, conspiracies and things of that nature. So... Yeah, I mean, there will be people sweating bullets and planning, what do we do, what do we do? But there's plenty of room. There's, there's always a joke here. slipped in somewhere. Fucking Irish family. There's always room for one more joke. Indeed. But, uh, yeah, probably one of the things I wanted to do in the podcast, we kind of started running out of time, and we were starting to wander around as it was, was back to what is too much and what's too little. I don't think, you know, as far as too little... It, uh, yeah, that's it right there. If you just don't joke, that's too little. You got to have some fun. You got to laugh, and you can't take yourself too damn seriously. Because if you do, uh, I don't think you're really gaming. I think you're doing something else. But that's just my opinion. You know, you may differ. So, um, yeah, I think too much is probably where just everything just falls apart, and maybe it's just a good time to call tonight right there and move on. Or just, you know, pop in a movie and just, you know, enjoy that. Yeah, I've seen meetings uh, destroyed because of, like, a moment of accidental humor. Uh, and in one secondhand case, uh, just going to relate a, a story of my brother's from his time in Iraq. Uh, and and an officer, I believe, was uh, trying to do a slideshow or a, a projection thing. And he was tinkering with the machine before the meeting and everybody's sitting there waiting and it's not very uh, cool. You know, everybody's tired and bored and hot and really eager to get this completely over with and uh, get on with their day. And the machine is just not doing what it's supposed to do. And finally, in frustration, the guy goes... What do you do with something that won't work? And from the back of the room, my brother's voice was heard going, Promote it! At which point, everybody lost their minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no point in holding the meeting, because <laughs> nobody could get serious after Yeah, that. after that, you just broke it up. <laughs> All right, hey, thanks a lot, Joe. And again, thank you for the kind words. Uh, we hope to be hearing more from your brother, so take care. And we're going to move on right now to Jason. Yes. Jason gave us a call in. All right, so we'll be right back with Jason. Hey, guys, thank you so much for mixing humor in your games. I, I think you made some good points, and you shared some interesting stories. So all in all, 
two thumbs up. All right, Jason. Yeah, well, well, I think that's the shortest message you ever sent. But all right, glad. Yeah, but it was right and straight to the point. Ah, uh, and thank you. Yeah, Very thank kind. you. Yeah, man. Um, glad you liked it. Yeah, thanks for uh, giving us some insight there. Yeah, I pushed back our what we were going to talk about, but yeah, as we just went through with Joe, uh, you know, there's a couple things maybe um, we want to get a little few more points in there, but eh, you know. It's one yeah, of those the, back and forth where the, the too little, too much thing. You know, we we wanted to clarify that a little, so we we ran out of time when we we hit that uh, like three quarters of an hour mark and shied away and went ah all right, well we'll tack it on to the next one because it's rant day today. We we get to just lightheartedly rant and instead of trying to do a more thorough pick apart of our subject. But yeah, that was a big topic, so thanks for bringing that up and giving us the opportunity to cover that. So Yeah, I know. The inspiration for, for that entire episode was, you know, a single comment that made us, like, the light bulb went off over both our heads at the same time. Uh, complete with, like, ass-stupid stares at each like, oh, dude! Uh, yeah, totally gotta do this. So... And it is actually exactly like that. That is, that is uncannily exactly like what happened. As we heard that, uh, as we heard your response, we would just like look right at each other, like, "Ding, yes, we should totally do that." Why have we not done that? You know, that's what that's what genius is. So thanks for sharing your genius with us, Jason. And uh, also, uh, hope you're doing all right, man. Uh, sound a little down, but uh, just hope that. Uh, that's just a little bit of the blahs. Everybody's getting a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, geez, you know, stressful times. Everything is so weird, so yeah. surreal. Um, you know, I, I did not expect to be living in a Salvador Dali painting uh, almost 24-7. Why do the elephants have such long legs? I don't understand. <laughs> You're just mad because they got long legs. Who melts a clock? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that's what uh. happens when you leave it near the oven. Yeah. Oh. All right, but um, as far as some of our see, I warned you. <laughs> it, it, Lack of sleep is kicking in, and uh, too much time in the sun. So uh, yeah, uh, Todd McKenzie, yeah, leaving us a nice message on our Facebook page. Thanks a lot. Glad you're enjoying uh, looking through our backlog. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Todd is a survivor of the campaign I ran in Lansing, Michigan. You poor soul. Uh, for a couple of years. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Congratulations, Todd. You know, if you if, when you make it to this episode, uh, one, you will you will get to hear your name mentioned. Uh, and two, you will get to hear the the salute and tribute uh, to you and Willie uh, and to all of the Lansing crew uh, whom I miss so much. Uh, that was just an incredibly fun campaign and uh, the thing I regret the most was that right at the end, right when I really hoped that I could wrap it up, uh, things got so chaotic in my life as I transitioned to a new place to live and uh, transitioned out of one job and into another uh, and really got set to start my life over again. I wound up moving out of town without finishing that campaign in a meaningful way. So uh, it's still one of my gamer laments. It's like the, the the one that got away. You know, it's like my fishing story. Wow. Uh, I had a great time up there. Well, um, also to Nick Brook uh, on Twitter, who uh, yeah. liked our review of uh, The Rough Guide to Glamour, uh, looking to RuneQuest's uh, major city in the Lunar Empire. Um, he had a little uh, 
question for us if we got the end since we were talking about the new jokes about the new new Pelorian speak which was uh, of course like slavery is freedom freedom is slavery you know sort of thing from uh, George Orwell yeah wonderful Orwellian nod yeah but he was also asking about he uh, if we got the joke on um, that page about the satrapies and sultanates and for a long time in RuneQuest especially the Lunar Empire they were referred to all the uh, substates as sultanates and, of course, with sultanates, you get this picture of a languid, fat guy covered in oil, being banned by gazelle-hipped boys. And, uh, Presumably. Yeah, yeah. and fed Mr. grapes. In Mr. Stafford's, uh, uh, you know, preferred uh, <laughs> milieu. Right. And then, you know, so it, it gave more of a debauched sense of what these leaders like were. Luxurious quarters. You know, the, the classic image of, a, of an empire... Uh, of luxury and in a hot country and largesse and uh yeah and so the they decided to turn on a dime and name them satrapies because who knows what a satrap is well of course that's exactly what a satrap is is a ad hoc area of controlled by a viceroy or political appointee or warlord in yeah, the period a person who administers leadership over an area controlled by a greater power. Yep, uh, and it could be a variety of things, and that's what it was meant to represent. But the double speak in there fits right into the Orwellian thing because you can use this if you call a person who views themselves as a sultan a satrap, it's an insult. And if you call somebody a sultan who is views themselves as a satrap, that is also an insult. So you have to know who you're dealing with because certain people will take offense at being called a sultan because it implies that they are decadent and lazy and administer only through proxy, where a person who is doesn't want to take the reins but goes exactly through uh, proxy and through others, lessers, is, of course, going to be insulted by being referred to as by either term. And so it's this, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you just blunder in and call a person by whatever the term is that you think. Yeah, it, it's just basically a social landmine, which, again, remembering the historical accuracies of RuneQuest, of, of which there are many, in spite of the, the tongue-in-cheek humor and other things, uh, RuneQuest is one of the remarkable examples of RPG writing that cuts close to the historical bone. Uh, it stays original and has many things in it that, you know, are without exact comparison in the modern world, but that's one of those scenarios of the ancient world where a mere misstatement regarding a title can get you boiled in oil. You know, yep. you're just, oh, whoops, a tiny slip entering the throne room. You failed to genuflect in the correct fashion, uh, befitting the rank of this individual, and boom, you're on the outs. Uh, well, unlike the Orlanti barbarians and Yelmian, uh uh, Plainspoke, who the Lunar Empire looks down on, well, they would just be enjoying to have any title heaped upon them, those unwashed barbarians. Yeah, well, you know, um, the Lunar Empire is a different beast totally. And people who earn their rights by on the battlefield and through politics sometimes are very capable administrators and very shrewd politicians. And they do not like being referred to as a, a sultan, a person given to just lazily ruling from decree. 
Yeah, uh, handing it off to the assistants and enjoying your day off while people peel grapes for you. Uh, you know, that... Uh, it's not the image some people wish to cultivate, and, and you never really know which one you have you're to going know. To you, have, you have to know going in what your uh, proxy is and who your who the person, the master of the land is at, that you're speaking to at that time. But yeah, Mister Brook, it just it was a pleasure to have received your message because that was actually illuminating, and it also opened a window to the uh, hidden history of the making of RuneQuest for me because I did not know anywhere near as much as Randy did. Uh, I enjoyed playing the game, but I haven't read all the guides. I don't know. Yeah, I got to meet Stafford a couple times, but, you know, it was just really quick. It was just like a handshake sort of thing at a convention, you know, where it's just like, oh, glad you enjoyed it. Or, you know, you ask a few questions, why Doug's? Why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, fair enough. It could have been anything. Yeah, so I, I you know, I doubt that uh, the I got. The people. Yeah. Why well, not? They've got those, the Tepir. Yeah, so. Really? All right, yes. Yeah, Wait. we'll have to cover that at some point in time. Oh, man. I, that was totally by accident. Uh, Morkoth, I believe they're called. Huh. Morkanth or something. I I, I got to get my books in front of me, so forgive me if I just butchered that. So, But anyway, um, that's it for our intro. We're going to get into yeah. our topic while we still have time for that. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. And thanks. What? Oh, doggone, I just forgot his name. Oh, Todd. Todd, thank you, Todd. Yeah. Why, why did I forget Todd? How can I forget Todd? Todd. Sorry, Todd. Hey, you didn't game with him for a few years. Todd was awesome. Huh. Best uh, duelist I've ever seen. All right. Totally had the knack for it. Very Inigo Montoya. What a great archetype to rip off of. Rip off of. Yeah. Not rip off. <clears throat> all right. So after I embarrass myself and you, poor Todd, I'm sorry. Um, you can take it on me later. <laughs> We're going to get to doing our message and get to our topic. So stick around. All right, and we're back, so thanks for putting up with us. Uh, hope you enjoyed our little preamble there, but let's get into the main part of the show since it's Freeform Friday. What are we talking about? Why, we're going to talk about... Off went the kimono. Oh, avert the eyes for the painted part. <laughs> and now come the jumping jacks. Yeah, uh, yeah. all right. So, yeah, uh, Jolly Blackburn put this up on his uh, Facebook wall a couple, about a week ago, where he talked about that it comes oh, to the... For, for the... Uh... For the, I'm, I'm assuming that most people know, but Jolly Blackburn is the man behind Knights at the Dinner Table comics uh, and Kingdoms of Calamar games and, you know, is a marvelous gamer of the old school who who knows much of our ancient ways. Yes. So we love him. He's a peer. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, if you don't know about Knights of the Dinner Table, do yourself a favor and check that out. You deserve to laugh this much because yes. I like all of you and I want you to be happy. Uh, and this this will help you do that. All right, but he put this up on his wall, and it was a good idea, uh, I thought, for a topic, because he had said that just about as much time had passed under the stewardship of Wizards of the Coast that TSR uh, had Dungeons & Dragons. And, oh, boy, it was really contentious. Yeah, apparently uh, this really ruffled some feathers. Now, you know, we picked this for a rant because, I mean, there's some validity to this. I mean, look. It's, it's torn because there are people who are uh, not happy that TSR is not the guiding force anymore. That it's not the, the arbiter of what is or is not D&D. Uh, okay, I, I hear that. Uh, but when Jolly makes the contention that, hey, just maybe, you know, if you're, if you're 
going off of the current measurements, Wizards of the Coast have been good stewards. Because yes. D&D is alive and well in the 21st century, all these years later, and during the reign of during the reign of Wizards of the Coast, it has gone pretty well for D&D overall. Pretty well. Um, it's more popular than it's ever been. Yeah. And that's the bone of contention for a lot of grognards at heart. So we're probably going to get some hate on this one, but I really don't care. Because well, I don't feel a lot of hate towards grognards who are well, upset about this because I, I get the... It feels <clears> like <throat> an impugning of the memory of something we love. Okay, TSR, there was a golden age that we remember. An age undreamt of. And it was, everything was new. And these guys were making do with a company that came out of nothing. Out of a garage. Uh, Or a house. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) out of a guy's house. And like all the shipping stuff and all the boxes and crates and stuff like that. You know, the stuff comes in from the publisher and they're out in the garage packing orders. It went from that to a international company during the span of time uh, from its creation until the advent of Wizards of the Coast purchasing the company. All right. Now, I don't think anybody should take anything away from how amazing that origin story is. I mean, that is a rags-to-riches story that is almost pure Americana. Sure. That is Wozniak and Jobs and Gates hanging out and going... Hey, let's play with these little... Can you make a computer smaller? You think people would want one of those in their home? You know, it's that kind of gold mine, amazing origin story. So to cherish that, I don't think that's wrong. But I'm also not going to go so far as to poo-poo the fact that we are riding a amazing cresting wave of popularity, the likes of which has never happened. Yeah, in like all of the 40 years that I have been in any way associated with the, that game and the gamer culture, I've never seen anything like this. And it's awesome. I'm equally happy. All right. Well, um, to set the stage a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mike is absolutely right that, okay, if you're not, if you're upset about that because it you feel that impugns the memory of TSR, okay, that's that's fine and all that, but to set the stage a little bit, yes, TSR did come out of a very shoestring budget, uh, roughly uh, a guy's life insurance policy plus uh, some other investment, and it grew into a game that by 77, let's say, that when TSR fully became incorporated and invested into itself, uh, began to put D&D in places that nobody two or three years could have ever predicted. I mean, back when it started in 74, 75, it was barely being passed around as it was through Xerox mimeographs. And then, you know, the TSR mail order shop, the TSR infamous dungeon and all that yeah, started coming out. Super specific. These were war gamers in war gamer clubs. People who did miniatures warfare. Uh, and then it started pulling in people from college campuses, <clears> like <throat> the, the old gamers who had been doing their Napoleonics and things like that for generations, uh, started mingling with the, you know, hippie-esque engineering-type kids uh, of the early 70s. And all of a sudden, that little fusion happened that we have mentioned in previous shows. 
and it started getting passed around college campuses. And there's a certain... Uh, yeah, it, it was it, kind of like a college radio moment where... An underground viral happening. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like college radio where, you know, something gets passed around from one person to another, and then pretty soon everybody's talking about it, and before you know it, it's getting major airplay. And that's what happened in 77. They started going to major book chains, uh, Walden Books, BK, Dalton, all that... Things nobody has ever heard of today. Uh. Even be, being carried in department stores, Sears and Robux, Montgomery Ward's catalogs, had Dungeons & Dragons games, miniatures and all that in the 80s. I mean, it grew big. And by 1981, it was among the top tier of Fortune 500 companies and even got into the top 10 briefly for about a year and a half. Uh, which is incredible considering just 10 years before, they were struggling just to get... A thousand copies yeah. out in mail order and take it to Gen Con. So I mean, and they knocked themselves out to do it. These guys, you know, they worked like dogs. They just uh, poured their heart and souls into getting something done, in spite of the fact that they were crippled by a lack of knowledge of the industries that they were dealing with, the publishing industry and things like that. They learned it all from scratch. There was no like. I'm a professional at this, and I'm coming into this knowing exactly how this... Could... They had to learn it all as amateurs. And yeah. they did it. And they did it. And there was a <laughs> lot of stories of success and failure, of tragedy and sorrow, but also on the success, a lot of people remember those times because everything that came out was almost pure gold because it wasn't just slapped together at the last minute, although many were. Some, some were slapped together somewhat quickly. But they were all individual labors of love from people who, first of all, this was their home the run. Game. This was their home run hit. This was their best pitch coming into a company that they wanted to be a part of. And that first wave, maybe that second wave, you've seen a lot of stuff. Now, we're going to skip over how TSR came to be acquired by Wizards of the Coast because we got to set the stage for the next part of this conversation, which is how did Wizards get TSR? Well, TSR was doing really well for a number of years, but it started to lag off. And through no probably fault of any one person, but a conglomeration of other things, including a little bit of largesse, just, oh, they'll buy anything they want, or we produce, it started to lead to a glut, and people had moved to other games, too. Yeah, they were late in second edition at the time, okay? And <clears throat> second edition initially had been very successful, and a lot of terrific material got produced, uh, TSR broadened its horizons from just standard D&D uh, to the science fiction realms and to a variety of other games. Uh, they were also pushing the publishing branch a little harder than I think they should have. It right, and, and there's a lot of room to go back and... Yeah, book publishing is, I mean, it's a golden goose at first because, honestly, everything's a bestseller when you have pre-sales to put stuff on bookstore shelves, so... We sold a million copies. Yeah, but a year, two years down the road, if only about 250,000 of those actually sold, uh, you know, the, the final results aren't as rosy as initially projected. So I, they, they grew enormous in size in a really short period of time, which is super impressive. And then that Roman Empire-esque scenario began to occur where there was a little contraction starting to happen and I I, I gotta 
agree with Randy's statement, that it was not any one factor. There were just so many things happening at the same time that when the contraction hit, it just really did more harm than anybody ever thought it would. Right. Um, there's a lot of good things to talk about, but we're not here to pick apart the fall of TSR as much as just talk about the specific incidents. Around in the early 90s, you might have heard a small company that produced a game called Magic the Gathering called Wizards of the Coast. Now, they had done a Talisman game and I think uh, maybe one other, Everway or something like that. Yeah, maybe that they came were afterwards. gamers. Okay. Oh, yeah. Were, Peter gamers to the core. And Lisa they Stevens. had the chops. Uh, people forget that. Okay. People have long since forgotten their association with other games. But they did uh, get Magic the Gathering and, boy, was... It was just a small little hit, you know. Just uh, you know, it was. It was <laughs> people around the country they kind of liked it. Yeah, okay. Let's not even kid ourselves. It was mag- as much as D and D grew. This was like an atomic bomb. Oh It my hit gosh. conventions. I remember going to Gen Con, and this that's all people were playing. Of gaming. Yeah, it okay, just, just was like one day you plant one, and the next day you get up and feed me Seymour. I sat down to play a game. I bought two decks. Uh, two starter sets and a couple booster packs, and I thought I put together a pretty decent deck, you know, from what uh, how to learn how to play. And then in comes Mister Briefcase to play with me and against me, and he just sets sets the briefcase down, flips it open, and he's got tens of thousands of cards in there. And well, you know, I got my ass beat, so I'm not gonna I'm not proud too proud to admit it, but. You know, that's how it starts. It's like, oh, you know, i got to get even with that guy. Okay, well, I'm going to go buy some more cards. And then I found myself like, wait, what am I doing? But so then I... If only, if only I could write a letter to myself in to Mike1991 and put it in a car with Marty McFly and Doc uh, and have them hit 88 miles per hour. And mail it to you. And just drop that off. To Mike in 1991, and just say, dude, don't worry about 401ks. Uh, just cash all that out. Cash all that. Get as much of this as you can carry, like wheelbarrows. Cart them. Like drive around the state, buying, squidding every card you can buy for 100 miles in every direction, and do that every year for the next 10 years. Uh, put everything into that, and then just sit on it. Sit on it and wait. See what happens. If I had gotten that letter from myself, that would be like I invented the internet money. Okay, crazy, like private island money. Yeah, you know, like Mike <laughs> sitting there with, I've got five ivory moxes and two black lotuses. Yeah. What you got? Nothing. All right. So, anyhow, uh, yeah, so they were huge. I mean, like monster huge. I mean, like Godzilla huge i mean like if tsr was the 800 pound gorilla they were godzilla yeah yeah Godzilla. you know they were like the thirty thousand ton kaiju walking in on tokyo or gen con as you want so it was amazing to watch happen at the time tsr fell on hard times uh freelancers were not getting paid uh illustrators were leaving the company it was pretty dire, and TSR looked to be in going into receivership. They had to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is not a death knell, but it's not a good sign, and they still couldn't meet their obligations. So, in stepped Wizards of the Coast, probably one of the greatest white knight corporate takeovers ever. Just paid their debts, yeah. paid everybody off. 
didn't yeah. make any demands. Just came said, in with crazy money and didn't come in with crazy demands. You know, this is like, I, I need only green M&Ms in a jar or I will fire everybody in this room. None of that. Came in and, yeah, you couldn't have put it better. A white knight moment in history of gaming. Just swept in and... Here I come to save the day. Yeah, paid off every one of their creditors with no expectation. You know, like, okay, we just want control of, to make sure the D&D imprint saves from being bought by somebody like, you know, Nintendo and then, you know, just squirreled off someplace. Or Disney, you know, like. Oh. Uh, so, yes, they did save the D&D brand. But. Then they released their own edition. They put their thumbprint fully on it. TSR, they continued to publish a few things that TSR had in the backlog and started to work the company, moving it from uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin to Seattle. And then they started the third edition. And they started the third edition. Now, whether you like it or you hate it or love it, um, I I'm just saying. I to love it, yeah. okay? I, I admired... It, the simplifications, I, I really enjoyed the less time-consuming process of resolution uh, compared to some of the complexities of 1st and 2nd edition. I had a lot of difficulty with some of the strategic elements of how combat unfolded in the uh, 3 and 3.5 systems, and I was a little irritated with the necessity of 3.5, which... Uh, for those who recall, yeah. was third the edition was they... so good we had to come out with a new edition. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the errata level where they they got the, the third edition out there, and there were a number of things that they may not have thought out as clearly as they could have, and they certainly didn't test them as carefully as they should have. So now that stumble aside, right? They then proceeded to deliver a lot of high-quality product for a very long time. Yep, yeah, um, they got the third edition license, whether you love it or hate it. Um, you have an appeal. You have an opinion about it. Um, we're going to talk about fourth edition just in the briefest of touches because that elicits a lot of hate. No, but I'm just going to say that you know it was what it was. But again, the open gaming license. That's yeah. SRD open gaming license is still out there. Yeah, just wait. It's only getting stronger. That's right. Oh. It is. <laughs> I mean, Pathfinder uh, in the second edition now. Yeah. You know, even though I'm a Pathfinder Classic dude, um, I'm still on board with the 2E. You know, there's some things I don't like about it, but again, it's maybe not my edition. Not that big of... Yeah, uh, no. the, these are not massive structural hate issues. Yeah, they, it's oh. just like, okay, you know, they. I know why they had to do it. It's for a new generation, but it's still tribute to the third edition. Now, whether we're going to just gonna brush that aside, fifth edition. Okay. Now, no, no, I, I didn't get my fourth hate out fully yet. Uh, oh, well, okay. We're trying to keep it family-friendly, <laughs> but go ahead. Take the floor, sir. No, I, I, I will just go all uh, Dead Milkman Stewart uh, conspiracy theory on you, and I, okay. will, I will unabashedly restate my consistent claim that it was the bean counters and lawyers who hated the open gaming license uh, because it had encouraged so many other people to publish similar properties. Uh, and a rising tide lifts all boats, and gaming had had its new renaissance in that era. Uh, that incredible act of generosity and thoughtfulness uh, and foresight by Wizards of the Coast 
in creating the open gaming license uh, pushed gaming forward into this era. I mean, that I believe that that was the catapult moment that, you know, made so much available to so many different people that it was inextricably tied to all parts of gaming culture. So, along come these guys who are like, what do you mean we can't sue people if they write something similar to what we wrote? Uh, and they said, let's kill that. We need something different right away. You know, whatever we do, you know, we've got to have something that we can sue people over. Otherwise, our lawyers have nothing to do. Uh, we can't have that now. So, they killed this beautiful thing the best they could. Unfortunately, for them. Wizards of the Coast had some very smart people who had secured the open gaming license and made it legally unassailable. Uh, so, when 4th edition came out and predictably tanked because it was a poorly thought out piece of crap that barely, on the best of days, resembled uh, the original game, uh, with only the loosest connection in core concepts, uh, Pathfinder immediately launched. Well, and lo and behold, outsold 4th edition eventually. Well, so, yeah. they had it coming. Uh, and the comeuppance of that finally sunk in to the people at Wizards of the Coast, uh, who, I assume, went back to the drawing board and said, okay, look, uh, I'm not saying we're going to bring back the OGL, but we have to create a version of the game that shows greater respect to the original material. And you know what? They accomplished that task. Having played... Uh, fifth edition now, I, I have to say, I like it. I like what they've done with it. I don't agree with every tidbit. Maybe it's not exactly what I would have done. But I feel that it shows far greater respect to the original core concept. <clears throat> so, I'm in. Well, there. trying to re-steer uh, re this back to now. the original topic was of Jolly Blackburn's post. It's during this time of stewardship of Wizards of the Coast. D&D is more popular than it ever has before. That's the crux of what we're trying to get to. And then we have to, of course, set the stage a little bit. But whether uh, going into the Edition Wars was a bit of a distraction, we're going to push that aside and forge yeah, ahead. I had the first part is that what we're trying to get on uh, board with was that, you know, as good as D&D was in the days when I first discovered it and was literally being written at the time, where it was literally each release um, would hit the local hobby shop and I would go down and pick up a copy of something or see it on the shelf and eventually acquire it maybe later. Yeah, these were not reprints. These were, like, hot off the press. The guy wrote it, like, literally six months ago. And then, bam, it's finally in our hands. Oh, what a great time. I think that uh, out of that era, I've been very impressed with what I've seen out of uh, Wizards with 5th Edition. Um, I'm a 3 guy, uh, Pathfinder guy, but I played 5th Edition. I don't in any way dislike it. It's just, it again, it's not my thing, okay? And that's fine. I can still like something and still have my own thing, too. It's like, okay, I really like Led Zeppelin, but I still really like other bands, okay? I like listening to Tool. I like listening to ACDC. I like Black Sabbath, okay? And somebody says, well, I like Winger. Well, okay, you can like Winger. No, you can't. 
All right. But, you know, sometimes I buy heads with people like Van Halen and other hard rock bands, you know, and, and Kiss bands and things like that. And you know what? I like them all. Okay? Just like good music. As long as it's good music, I like. And gaming, the same way. Does it have dungeons? Does it have dragons? All right, I'm in. You yeah. sold me. And I like a lot of other games, too. But the point here is that Wizards has done a really good job. And I, sometimes I think that we get lost in our nostalgia when we fail to appreciate what we have going on right now. D&D is more popular right now than it ever has been before. And I sure can hear a lot of excuses being generated like, well, you know, there's a new generation and it's for more diverse people and they're dumbing it down. Okay, great. You know what? If they dumbed it down and they made it easier for people to play, what's the harm? You still got the old editions. Oh, oh they did that in the second and third editions too. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, the point was well, the first edition system was in many respects, terribly clunky. Uh, yeah, they, they I'm not standardized to it. Admit that you know. Well, of course not. Uh, first but edition, in and of edition, itself, we got yep. Thaco, and you're like, oh, Thaco was because people are too lazy to do math. That was around in my day, you know. It was in the back math. of the DM's guide. It was meant to be a DM shorthand so that they didn't have to look at the chart. Yeah, it was for speed and ease of play, which has long been yeah, something that I, like the I, game is pushed so yeah i can hear the excuse generations but i don't buy it okay it's just like a bridge and you know, you're trying to sell me a bridge in brooklyn uh not buying it no just not um based on the fact that i think one of the clever things that wizards did besides this was get a good marketing campaign which is important much as you can hate on corporations, we have to look at the fact that these things are not a charity organization. Oh, God, no. And it wasn't in the first place. I mean, they couldn't afford to publish that stuff except in tiny little hand-printed, uh, you know, like the very original Wargamer journals, uh, circa 1972, 73, 74. Th these were things stapled together, okay? With, yep. Like, they, they took it to the copying service and... Or, you know, like to the university library and, uh, or had a friend who worked in an office. You know, Can you run off like 50 copies of this? Oh, oh, these are like 10 pages each. Okay, that's 500 copies. All right, yeah, spot me a couple of bucks and we'll make this happen. And boom, they published a tiny little hole-in-the-wall magazine. And I, it was a beautiful tribute to that age. But to move past that they had to enter the world of being mature businessmen and it was a rough transition so profit was always a factor like we got to be able to make enough to pay off the publisher and the author and then still turn a profit after this and they did it and you know what wizards of the coast isn't really doing anything ethically different from that no oh. and i think that they've Just embraced a, a lot scale. of the problems they put things out in pdf um yeah, there's some people upset. Well, they put, you know, these now uh, apologies on their PDFs, like Oriental Adventures. Yeah, well, okay, maybe the time has come to acknowledge that this isn't 1985 anymore, okay? Well, yeah, I mean, it has been, well, oh, jeez, uh, a sudden horrific realization of my age. Yeah, it, it's been 35 years. 35. Uh, yeah. Man, things change in 35 years, okay? Uh, Oriental Adventures was a clumsy teenage love letter uh, to, you know, like the samurai culture. Uh, we were saturated in movies that authentically, you know, came from overseas. 
uh, and TV shows that uh, were, well, horribly dubbed. Uh, but that clumsy, awkward uh, knowledge of other historical traditions and narratives was fascinating, okay? It was not meant to be a blackface moment. It was not meant to be an offensive or a vindictive or an exploitative thing. It was a naked love letter written by people who honestly didn't know any other better way to express it. Look, now, it's not like finding a copy of the Turner, years, Turner Diaries in somebody's book collection, now, okay? 35 years later, we can look back at that and we cringe, admittedly. I mean, and it, there's no shame in that. You can yeah, cringe and go, oh, that, oh, man, that could have been done a lot more tastefully. And sure. there's nothing wrong with it. I don't. Right, there's nothing it, wrong with coming out and saying, like, look, okay, we didn't mean any harm by this, but now it can be viewed in the current light of things in a not-so-positive light. So yeah. we need to address that. And, and yes, this still genders outrage and anger among the grognards. So I say to the old heads who feel that like, oh, the best days were back in 1981, 82. Well, okay, well, you know what? Fair enough. I think some of the best uh, writing for Marvel Comics X-Men was done in 1984 through 87. But I digress. Oh, the like, point... Like uh, 78, though. Like, you know, some of those... Uh, well, Denny O'Neill and Neil yeah. Adams run on Batman with Ra's al Ghul. And the, the, okay, that too. You know, yeah, that yeah, was another great th era. There were, there's, there's been some ups and downs, but that doesn't stop me from reading uh, Detective Comics nowadays. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, but I, I get his point, which the point being that... Um, there are people who have lost the art of being in love with now. And that's a terrible, terrible place to be. I mean, look, I love yesterday. I really do. Me too. And I, I say that unabashedly. I'm not trying to be ironic or... Yeah, or, I didn't have a mortgage payment each month. Yeah. I had a car insurance to pay, you know. Uh, you know, back pain. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of things that I look back on, and it's with this enormous reverence and affection. Uh, it brings me great joy to remember those things. But I'm also extracting enormous happiness from things that are happening right here, right now, today. Uh, and I, I feel like people are, you know, like I'm not mad at people for disagreeing. I'm, I feel terrible that they've robbed themselves of right. this, this sense that... of amazement that I have that things have just exploded greatly uh, for the entire gaming tradition. It just going outwards exponentially, and it's just become right. so much more relevant culturally than it ever has been. Kate's, Cats awesome. like uh, Dave Aldridge has got the right of it, man. You can play w in the new era with an old-school mentality. You can have a lot of fun doing the things that are out here to be enjoyed right now. Looking back at older editions is just fine. If you like to play the older editions, hey, they're there for you. They're not being taken away. What we're saying is that 5th edition has made D&D more popular than it was before. That's not an objective fact. That's not a subjective fact. Oh. That's an actual fact. That and is, uh, look, man, money on the table, okay? everything. BS yep. walks and money talks. And when it comes down to the money measuring stick, uh, things have gone great uh, for for Dungeons and Dragons. It has just been a gold mine to them. 
Uh, and it's generated a lot of opportunities for literally thousands of people. The DMs who, Guild. Yeah. What they've been screaming at for years. Hey, they tried to get ahead of the game back in the day, but look, it was. I think it was an idea that just had not been reached yet. Its time was not ready. It was a great idea, but it just wasn't there. But selling their PDFs online um, of older material, hey, that puts a great backstock into people's hands. You can get print-on-demand if you want. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things you can still get on eBay. I mean, what a... I was just looking at the uh, expert set, uh, the Desert Nomads oh, series. Oh, wow. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, I don't have one. of. I, I lost my copy. It finally gave up the ghost or I think got wet, and then I couldn't get it. But the Master of the Desert Nomads and the Temple of Death. Yeah, they're for expert, but I played them for Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons, so and who cares? This brings back another point uh, we have mentioned so many times in the past. The PDF was only four bucks. Harvesting material, okay? Uh, if you want a game that has the old-school feel... Uh, and you're working with the new school rules, uh, the limit is your imagination and your willingness to follow through. Uh, that is the only limit on people. You can take antiquated modules and revamp them for the modern era uh, and bring them into new rule systems, and it is a little bit of work. Okay? Sure. But that's also part of being a DM. I mean, you're, if you love it, you're it, putting in that work anyway. It, like you were already yeah, there, you ninety percent of the way, and then there's like this one little curb in front of you, and there are people who stop at the sight of that curb and go, "Oh, it can't be done." I beg to differ. Uh, from speaking from experience, it can be done. It has been done, uh, and I actually recommend the. Experience. And there's just so it much make good. Make you a better writer and a better game designer yeah. if that's the kind of thing you're interested in to go through the process of revamping old material for new rule sets. There's even third-party material that you can use. There's all sorts of stuff, and this is what we said to start with, although clumsily, probably discarded on the wayside, was that the tide lifts all boats, and the tide of D&D 5th Edition doing well helps everyone. Yeah, and I am not sorry about Jolly Blackburn's statement. Uh, I understand that people are anguished that perhaps this implies that the old era is gone or that it wasn't as successful uh, as this new era. Uh, but, you know, you can have both worlds, man. I, you can. I don't, feel like, I don't feel like one robs me of the other. Uh, I never you know. got that mentality, and that's why I, when yeah. I say old heads and grog beards and all this other stuff... I feel sorry for people who take that. And I know maybe they're a vocal minority or whatever you want to subject them to, but they're out there, okay? That enters into the, the uh, conversation, and, yeah, if people are butt-mad about it, all right, fine, die mad, be salty, I don't care. I'm going to have fun, and I'm going to enjoy uh, gaming in what I feel is a great environment and a great culture right now, and I want to be a part of this. And I think that if you set aside some of your love for the past, I mean, not set it aside to, like, just throw it out and just forget about it. But look, keep that love in your heart, but look ahead and embrace the now. You might find, you just might find, you will have a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I take no particular offense at people uh, being less than enthused by changing editions because I have been notoriously 
Oh, yeah, if you didn't catch that fourth edition part that I tried to rush them past, you know, yeah. I just tried to push them down. To, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. Yeah, I, I have been notoriously hard on each edition as it has come out, with the solitary exception of the first, which, you know, again, got a pass because it was the first. Uh, the second, I had my complaints, I got over it, and then proceeded to spend a lot of time gaming and having a great time. Uh the third happened, and oh, I complained mightily, I vetched, I griped, I sniped, and then eventually, shamefacedly, I came back to the table and was like, like, uh, so we, we got a game going? Hmm? All right, man, let's, uh, let's do this thing. Um, and fourth edition, I turned up my nose and walked away in hate. Uh, but fifth edition came along, and out of sheer respect for the fact that they had heard the cries from the wilderness and acknowledged that, hey, okay, you know what we just did did not work. Maybe it's time to go to back to the drawing board and go back to the well and get the original water. I took a look. I was intrigued. Dipped my toe in. And, you know, what do you know? Turns out, uh, you know, this, this porridge wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. It was just right. I was okay with it. And once again, I've eased my way into a level of comfort with an addition that I, I started off feeling great trepidation and suspicion about, and I'm not one bit sorry. I have lost nothing in the bargain. So I, I have no dispute with people who cherish the past. I only get a little, I, I get a little crusty when people who, if you listen to their rhetoric, it becomes clear that they are making assertions about what the game was like in the past that are wildly inaccurate. And you, you get this impression that they literally don't know what they're talking about. Uh, that they're, they're just you know, blurting out some personal desire or want. Uh, and that bore no, no resemblance whatsoever to the game I played in the early 80s. Uh, and at moments like that, I, I do get my umbrage and do not cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll get all honked off and I'll Aslan the, the crap out of them. You and me both, brother. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it. That, that is as far as my outrage goes. Uh, other than that, I just mostly want people to have a good time and laugh with their friends. Yep. And Nobody I think that's a good... That. I think it's a good place for us to leave off, besides we're starting oh, yeah. to run a little low on the, the, on the uh, timer. So we're going to heed that impatient clock, that mean old clock that just keeps on a ticking, never stops. Melts, clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three points for the uh, Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, nice job. Yeah. All right, Mike, with the free throw there. Okay, so I will field goal, Mike. Yay. Bring out the guy who can kick the ball. <laughs> I shall don my kimono once more. All right. Well, we had a lot. has been achieved. We had a lot to uh, ramble about. And yeah. We hope you enjoyed our little uh, back and forth. Um, and again, if you got any opinions, questions, comments, concerns, you should have plenty of concerns about our mental health and our status. Oh, then, of course, you can get a hold of us on the usual haunts here on Anchor. Download the Anchor app, get yourself a Anchor account, and it's free and easy. And you can leave us a message, and we'll put you on the air. 
And also, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming. People have been using that, so thank you. And, of course, if you really feel your most necessary complaint to us directly, well, do it so on Twitter, because I'm at Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-A-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. And myself at MagiVox, M-A-G-I-V-O-X. And let us know what you think. So, until further ado, you have a great weekend. We'll be back on Tuesday, so... May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.